Today's Dave Chang Show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever send money abroad? Don't use a bank or PayPal. That's like going to McDonald's for a salad. They have it, but other people do it way better. Instead, use TransferWise. TransferWise always has a great exchange rate and a super low fee, which is probably why they already have 4 million customers. And their borderless account lets you hold over 40 currencies at once and convert them whenever you like. Test it out for free at transferwise.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G, or download the app today. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. I am joined today by Jessica Largi. Thank you for joining us. Thanks uh, for having me. Is it Largi or Largi? I can't. Largi. Largi. Yeah. Jessica Largi. Thank you yeah. for joining us. We're waiting for one of your team to show up. But in the meantime, we were talking about days off mm-hmm. and opening up restaurants. So Jessica was asking me about Major Domo and how's it going. And I was saying how, you know, we got some growing pains nine months later and dishwasher, so on and so forth, and uh, how I really wanted to open up four days, Monday through Thursday, close Friday, (laughs) Saturday, Sunday, and she mentioned Sunday, Monday. Yeah, Sunday, Monday would be my dream to be closed, because you get one day with all the people in your life to hang out and like have time with them on Sunday, and then you get Monday when no one wants to see you because they're all working, and then you get a day totally alone. So I still get my Mondays, and eventually I'll get my Sundays too. Having Mondays off is the best. It is. Yeah. It took a long time for me to understand how glorious a Monday off in a city mm-hmm. is because yeah. you it's basically the city to yourself. Yeah. It's so easy to get your errands done. You have like so much freedom with like what you need to get done or you can hide from the world. Yes. And no one even notices because <clears throat> it's their Monday. So they're like, oh, yeah. And like you want to go out to dinner, you can always get in. Like it's. It's just a nice day to have off. Or matinees or anything. Uh-huh. Yeah. I remember when I first got a like a real kitchen job, my first one in a real kitchen. And it was at Kraft in like 2000, 2001. And I got my first schedule and uh, it was like Saturday, Sundays off. And wow. I'm like, yes. And then like the saucier goes to me, he's like, you're an idiot. Yeah. It means that we don't want you here. Yeah. On the weekend. <laughs> when it counts. <laughs> And he's like, one day you'll learn that you want Sunday Mondays off. And yeah. I was like, what do you mean? That's so crazy. Why would you yeah. want Sunday Mondays off? Yeah. Why don't you want weekends off like everyone else? And then then I learned. Yeah. I mean, it is like when you need to be there for the Friday, Saturday push, you know that you're valuable to the team. But also having the last three years off, like I hate going out on Friday and Saturday. It's the worst. It's so busy and packed and just like anywhere you go, it just gets frustrating. Like I hate going out on the weekend. And if you are just getting the culinary profession and you're still missing your friends, like you haven't quite understood the change you're going to have to make in your life mm-hmm. to be fully committed. Yeah. And when you understand that uh, having any other day other than Sunday, Monday, really Sunday, Monday, if you are someone in your restaurant that has Sunday, Mondays off, you are most valuable <laughs> to, the, to the restaurant. You're MVP. Yeah. Yeah. You've made it. So um, let's start. Jessica. I'm excited to have you. You are opening a restaurant tomorrow. We'll probably air this sometime next week. And thank you for making time to talk about this. You were the chef de cuisine at the Three Mission Star Restaurant, Manresa, mm-hmm. from David Kinch, one of the great chefs America's ever produced. And 
you won a Rising Star James Beard Award. I did a few years ago. So it's taken me a little time to get my restaurant open. But yeah, I did in 2015. And I remember when you won, I was at the award ceremony. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Kinch has had a crazy, how should I say? If you make it to that position, mm-hmm. more than likely, you're fucking awesome. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, it's just incredible the lineage that's come from him. It's just amazing. Like Jeremy and James and Joseph and JP Joseph Santano was, from um, PYT. And yeah. all, he has so many, Bach, so many, so places. many places. Yeah. Orson Winston, Jeremy Fox. Yeah. One of the great restaurants in, would you say it's the Santa Cruz area? Not Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz? Where's Manresa? It's in Los Gatos, Gatos, the Silicon Valley. It's close to Santa Cruz. That's where we all lived, but yeah. If you haven't been to Manresa, it's tremendous. Unfortunately, just recently closed again briefly for another fire. Another fire, yeah. But if someone can get through that again, it's a Chef Kinch, who is one of the good guys in the business. And when you won that award, that's like a crazy honor to receive. And pretty soon after, you're like, I'm ready for my own thing. Yeah, I mean, it, that had already all been in the works. Right. I knew that going there, I'd actually, my last day at Menresa was a week before. Holy shit. Um, so it was kind of like me making this stance of like, I'm going to take time off. I'm going to take care of myself and take a break because I never had. And the icing on the cake was that. I walked into the James Beard Awards like, I don't really care what happens because I'm taking time off. And that feels so much better than anything that could happen tonight. And then I won a Beard Award. So it was like, okay, this really feels like I made the right decision and I can kind of do whatever I want now. You know, so it was really an amazing experience to all happen all at once. I thought it was pretty awesome because I was like, oh, she has her shit together. (laughs) (laughs) I was shocked. I was really like, wow, that's that's not something you see from someone under the age of 30 to figure all that out. Yeah, and about two weeks before that as well, I had just signed on with my partners down here. So I signed an agreement with them and signed on for it, but they really supported me taking all that time off and then coming back to do the project. And that's how I knew I had really good partners. You know, they were like, we think it's great that you want to like get yourself ready and straight and figured out before you dive into a huge thing. My main partner is a film director, Joe Russo. And he was like, yeah, I always try to take a break between movies. Like, it's really important. What's, so, what's he directed? Oh, small, couple small films, you know, a couple Captain America's, oh. Avengers, things like that. Small. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So yeah. before we get too far into the story of your life a little bit, mm-hmm. just so the listeners have a better understanding, you were born and raised in the L.A. area. In Ventura County, yeah. Yeah. Which is 90 minutes away from Yeah, like an hour. It's about 60 minutes. home of Patagonia. Yeah, home of Patagonia. I'm a big Patagonia person. You can see my backpack and water bottle and everything. Ventura is a glorious place. I Um, love it. And was food in your life where you're like, I knew I wanted to be a chef, or was it like, hey, I'm just going to fall into this? I started cooking when I was like five years old. I was always like a little bit obsessed with it. I loved going to our butcher in town and like watching them cut down stuff and I started cooking without my parents consent when I was about five and then they noticed that I was like very passionate about it so they really fueled that and they cooked dinner every night so I just became a part of the rotation like as a kid with them like I would cook a dinner every other night or something with them and my grandma was an incredible cook so I cooked a lot with her and I just did it my whole life. It really was like what, my like, favorite what, what, are, what are you making? What's your grandma making? What is you know? What are some of the important food memories? Because this is crucial um, stuff to a chef. I mean, the first thing I ever made was scrambled eggs. Um, my parents came upstairs and I was sitting there eating them, and they were like, "What? 
how did you do that? But I had like studied my mom before watching her do it. And so I could do it on my own. Um, One of the coolest things I ever made with my grandma when I was about eight years old was for Christmas dinner, she made a lasagna from scratch. And just like making noodles from scratch blew my mind. Like I was like, this is a thing. You can do this like in your house. This is so amazing. I mean, it was so different then though. There wasn't all the, there was Food Network, but that was like it as far as food went. So I did watch Food Network and I would try to cook stuff at home and I had old cookbooks and things like that. But it really just was my hobby. Was it like your passion? That's what you were thinking all the time. Pretty much. I was like thinking about music and thinking about food, like... But I never thought of it as a career. I did dress up as a chef for a couple years for Halloween, (laughs) like a French chef with a toque and a mustache and everything. But I never thought about it as a career. But like when I came home from school every day, I would cook. And when my friends came over, I would cook for them. And it was just this thing that was really prominent in my life. And when I was 16, my mom just like very casually said while I was cooking for her and we were talking about college, what about culinary school? And it was like, bing. And that was it. Did you go to CIA? I went to CSCA, a Le Cordon Bleu program in Pasadena. Ah. But I actually enrolled that weekend that she said that when I was 16. And I had two years of high school left, but they let me come take a class every month. Wait, um, so you were still going to high school. Uh-huh. And I had a start to- start date for culinary school. Like I knew August 4th, that was the day I was starting culinary school. Like that was it. Wow. Yeah. That is like very different than me. Yeah, and I was I was in all these classes and stuff. And once I once I enrolled in school, I like changed it to all like electives and stuff, and made my high school the rest of high school like super fun and easy. And your parents were supportive. They were like, "Yeah, it's pretty crazy." I mean, my mom I think was a little nervous, so she went with me to one of the first classes they let me take there, and it was a chicken fabrication class. And I like geeked out so hard breaking down the chickens, and she thought it was pretty gross, so she let me do hers too. And she was just like in that moment was like. Yeah, this this for you. Like, wow, you really like this. <laughs> and they've, they've always been incredibly supportive to me and all my sisters. And it really shows that all of us are very different, but also young and successful. And it's pretty awesome. And what, your parents weren't in the food business? No, not at all. My dad's a retired police officer. My mom's self-employed. But they cook all the time. They're very, like, simple, more meat and potatoes, but they love food. And they love produce. Like, my mom loves vegetables. So all of us ate tons of vegetables growing up. So, And we were in an agricultural area, so we had access to, like, amazing stuff. Like, I grew up thinking all berries were Harry's berries because we bought them from Harry's berries in Oxnard. Can you you explain to the rest of the population what is Harry's berries? Harry's berries are, like, the best strawberries in the country. They People would say, you're wrong. I know. And I am a believer now. Yeah. And it pisses off some people. Yeah. I mean, even up in Santa Cruz, there were great strawberries that were grown by the coast. So they had this like great sour and salty flavor to them and stuff. And I was always just like, "Eh." (laughs) and they were awesome. And I loved the farms, but I was like, yeah, these are no Harry's berries, you know, and there's other great strawberries, but their, their berries, especially their gaviotas are like incredibly sweet, incredibly delicious. And every single one tastes perfect. Like exactly what the flavor of strawberry is in your mind. It's the platonic flavor of strawberry. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't even understand what life would be like having access to tasting stuff like this. I'm just tasting this shit now at the age of 41. You know, it's amazing. It's pretty crazy. I mean, like my parents have a over 100-year-old avocado tree in their backyard that's gigantic. We had a tree house in it growing up. Like it's huge. It's a fuerte tree. 
So I thought all avocados were like fuertes, like these incredible, nutty, rich, flavorful avocados. And then I would like eat a Haas at some random like old avocado that's stringy and stuff and be like, what is this? Like, I don't what? This isn't an avocado, you know? Like avocados taste like this. So I'm very spoiled in that sense. You know, and then coming to L.A. and working at Providence with Michael, and I worked at the farmer's markets with my parents' neighbor. And so I was an even bigger produce snob. But then when I went to Manresa and I met David and I went to the farm, that's when I was like, okay, I know nothing. Like, this is what's going to be the next level. Let's let's get, we'll get there. So after Pasadena, like, first of all, were you at all intimidated by the idea of life as a cook? Did you know any pitfalls in the shittiness of our profession where you're like, or I'm just like, I love food so much. I don't care. Yeah, I I really was like, I really love food. But I actually, at the beginning of culinary school, was like, I don't think I want to work in restaurants, so it seems really stressful. (laughs) I think I'd rather do something like on my own. You know, I was 18, and I didn't know where it was going to lead me. And then once we started doing classes where we did restaurant fires, my chefs were like, oh, you're really good at this. Like, (laughs) you need to do this. This is your path. It's been decided. And I had amazing teachers who really invested a lot in me. When we did our like rotation at the end of school, you're supposed to do three weeks front of the house, three weeks in the bistro, three weeks production. And they got special allowance for me to just stay in the bistro and like made me run it to see what I could do. And then they're the ones who got me into this new restaurant that was opening Providence to do my externship. So I went there about a month after they opened and I ended and what up year staying is this? there. 2005. So my it was God, pretty amazing. 18. Mm-hmm. I was 19 then. 19. I was 19 years old. And I went into Providence, and I mean, Michael and Paul were just incredible, and they really taught me so much. My head's exploding right now because you see a lot of people, you hear a lot of people, but this is as close to hearing a story about someone that I don't want to use prodigy or anything like that, but like mm-hmm. it was all meant to be, right? Like you rarely have this from school yeah. perfect. Like, no, not even college. Like, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. It's really unbelievable. I've had incredible opportunities. And I've I've put my head down and I've worked really hard. So I don't want to say it was luck because I no, do no, think no, I've no. earned a lot. But I do recognize how fortunate I have been to work in the restaurants I've worked in and to, like, have it all line up so beautifully. Well, I think you should add a lot of people are given these opportunities. Very few people make the most of it. Mm. There are a lot of young people that go to cooking school and they don't excel at it. Yeah. The fact that you were given the opportunity to stay at the bistro shows to these instructors, like, she's the real deal. Mm-hmm. Like, she's got an incredibly bright future and we need to nurture her. We need to make sure that she becomes a superstar. And they paired you with, at the time, probably one of the most serious best chefs in Los Angeles. Yeah, Absolutely. Can you speak a little bit about Michael and so people know a little bit more? Yeah. Michael Simarusti is, I think, one of the one of the best seafood chefs in the world and chefs otherwise. He taught us so much when I was there. Like every plate he was doing, he would pick it up and look at it from all angles and talk to us about how to construct the first bite to keep people coming back for more. And he had so much theory behind the way that he worked that it really made you understand what he wanted as a cook but it also there's things that he taught me there he and Paul taught me there that I still use and teach my cooks today and things that helped me shape my own identity as a chef because I would draw on like how they treated it and how they saw it and always keep in mind like what is my view how do I want this to be how do I explain this to cooks like how do I want to be a mentor like they were to me so pretty incredible time but Providence 
has been one of the top restaurants in LA since they opened. And like, it got two Michelin stars when the guide mm-hmm. was here. Yeah. And Michael was a, spent a lot of time in New York and just has so much respect for him and and what he's done with sustainability and seafood and putting it together. It's like, oh, Jessica had learned no bad habits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go right Pretty into a lucky. kitchen that's going to teach you the very fucking best. Yeah. Like, it's amazing. And when when I was there, you know, we had like five different menus and the team was smaller than it is now. Now when I go in there, I'm like, there's so many people here. But it was like a core team of like 10 to 12 cooks and we all got drilled. Like it was boot camp. We cooked our asses off. And all of those people, the same with Manresa, they're all chefs now. Right. All of them are Who are some of those doing peers? so great. Ari Collender and I from Hayden, we cooked together on the line. Chris Ono, who went to New York for a long time and was at EMP in a bunch of places. And now he's a chef here at, um, he was at Esther's, but now he's at Gesso. I think that's how you say it. Amy and Tristan, I worked with as line cooks, who are now the sous chef and chef de cuisine at Providence. It's pretty awesome. That it's all amazing of us went to see that, to right? To do so much. And like when we were there, it was such clockwork. Like we hit this point where we were just. And everyone's pushing each other. So much food. So much food. It was amazing. And when you got there, what was your station? I started on the cold station. And then Paul promoted me to the line really fast, which pissed a few people off. (laughs) Because I was just an intern, you know. But he really believed in me. He saw something in me. And he pushed me so hard. And and Michael, I had to prove myself to more. He He told Paul to pick someone to like mentor. And Paul picked me. Because he saw something in me on the cold station, promoted me within a few weeks onto the line. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to cook all this stuff. As a chef today, would you have done that to you then? I don't know. Considering the the sort of fabric of the kitchen and how that would piss someone off? I don't know. Right? Maybe. I mean— Can you explain why people would get upset? Because I was— Probably the youngest person there, which always has some sort of political move to it, which I don't understand. I've always pretty much been the youngest. I'm still not even the oldest person in my own kitchen. Um, but Age has got nothing to do it with it. It has nothing to do with it. it Skin, really that's what doesn't. I love about cooking at, the, at its core. Cooking, to me, is truly at its very best when it rarely is a merit-based place yes. where there's skin color, race, gender. Personality n- doesn't even. fucking matter. Yeah. And— Yet, we are all, including myself, have this bias sometimes. Like, And I've done it when someone's too young. And I'm like, yeah, but like, really, can they handle the station? I'm like, yeah. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine that kitchen at Providence where like an intern is going to take mm-hmm. the hotline. I've been <laughs> cooking for four years. Yeah, It was more a couple of people who had been there like a month or so longer than me as stages and interns, who I'm very good friends with still to this day. But at the time... It really pissed them off that I got moved up so fast after them. Were you showing up um, earlier than everyone? No. Later? No, I just worked hard. <laughs> I don't know. And I was like, at that point, I was so shy and so quiet and everything. So I was really like, why, 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 why me? Like really excited, but also so nervous um, and just very like aware that I didn't know anything. I wasn't someone who came out of culinary school feeling cocky. I felt like I don't know anything but I'm really excited to do this job and learn everything I can. Do you feel with all your experience when you see new cooks come in, how often is it when the cocky cook actually is makes it? It's very rare. I actually don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah, it's very rare. Unless they get, I don't know if this is the right word, but unless they get broken in some way to actually 
see humility and actually see that they don't know anything. Yeah. Which like doesn't mean that they're beaten down or screamed at. I just mean there's this point where they can have this like reckoning, self-reckoning of realizing that they have so much to learn, you know? And like, I'm still learning all the time. Like the other day I messed something up and I just kind of chuckled about it. And my cooks were all so nervous that I was going to be upset. And I was like, whoops. (laughs) I clearly have too much going on, guys. Let's do it again. Like, can you help me prep this out? We'll do it all over again. And sorry about that. Like, I should have stayed here the whole time. I shouldn't have walked away. There's just a lot going on. And just always trying to show them and tell them, you know, like, I've never worked with this before. Let's figure it out together. This will be really fun. This job should be fun because it's a lot of work and it's a lot of stress. So if you aren't having fun, then you shouldn't do it. You know, and if you ever find yourself in a place where you're not having fun anymore, take a step back. Because it will ruin you. you yeah, know? I could have used your advice. A so few could years I. Ago. <laughs> so could I. For a long time, I could have used that advice, and I didn't have it. So, did you work all the stations at Providence? I didn't. I mostly stayed on the fish side. I was like the lead fish cook for a long time, and I worked the hot app station on the other side. But I never actually worked at the meat station there. But everything else, I worked. Yeah. And how many years? Uh, about two and a half years. I think I was there. That's a solid undergrad graduate program. It was. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And so after, at that point, I mean, I would have stayed there longer and I got an opportunity to go to Europe with a friend who imported Italian goods and just his business partner got sick and he needed someone to go eat food in Italy with him for two weeks and asked me to go and like pay for the whole trip and everything. And I went in to work and I was like, hey, chef, like I got this crazy opportunity, but I have to leave in two weeks. And if you don't say yes, I'm probably going to give you my notice right now because I feel like this is a chance of a lifetime, you know, to go to Europe and do this. And he was like, well, yeah, you have to go. Like, I support it. You know, whatever. We'll we'll hold your space. Then I came in a couple days later and I was like, so you know how I've been saving up to go stage at the Fat Duck? So I could add that onto this trip because he'll pay for all the airfare and all that stuff. And he was like, so how long are you asking off for, Jess? And I was like, a couple months, you know, like a few months. And so I snuck you, in some solo travel in there too in between and I went I went there. Was that your was first fun. time in Europe? Yeah. I'm just going to assume it had to be a fucking revelation. It was insane. To taste the things that you've only read about. Yeah, it was wild. Like, I don't know if anyone's gotten to see Italy the way I got to see it that way for their first time there. Like, we flew into Rome, but we drove straight to Montalcino and we stayed there. And what we did was we stayed on farms all over Italy, starting in Tuscany, and then we went all up. We didn't go south, but we went up through, and we stayed on in tiny towns on farms. What season were you there? Fall. So truffle season. It was truffle season. It was a really bad truffle year and a really bad porcini year, which was a little bit heartbreaking. But we did seek them out. We found them. But like the only major cities we went to was we went to Modena and we went to Torino. But otherwise, we stayed in all small towns and like went and stayed at the winemaker's house and went and stayed at the olive oil producer and went and stayed and went to the Achitaya and toured the balsamic and went and did this and did all these things. It was so insane. And did it completely change your understanding of what not just Italian food is, but how people eat? Yeah, how people eat. I mean, Italy is the best place to go for like, to see how people's life revolves around food, I think. Like, we would go to meet with people And they'd be like, oh, so great to meet you. Here, eat something. Oh, let's have a glass of wine. No, now let's walk around. We'll get to the business later. Let's do this now. Let's have another glass of wine. We should eat some more food. Oh, these are my grandma's cookies. Like it was just these beautiful interactions with people. And it all revolved around this love of food and like 
you know, we'd stop by a cave on the side of the road to buy cheese from a little old lady. And I was like, this is what life is for. Like, this is what everyone should be doing. And you're what, all of 21? I was 21. So you're doing what most 21-year-olds would do anyway, traveling Europe, Mm -hmm. but you are there for a purpose. Yeah. And all I had to do was taste food and say what I thought about it. (laughs) But I think that's what I think a lot of cooks don't understand when they go abroad to work at a kitchen. Like when for myself, working in Japan, it wasn't the fact that I was working in kitchens. I was eating food that I never got to eat before. And I got to see how people ate. And the biggest thing for me that I feel like I can see when you're talking about this, just how your eyes light up is Mm -hmm. food can be something different than what I understand it to be. Yeah. And that's the biggest revelation is how people eat outside of your own little hometown. Mm -hmm. So, man, I'm so jealous. That sounds like such a ridiculous trip. And Again, I'm a little bit like shocked at how well put together mature you were at that age because you're like, oh, no, I'm going to also set together a stage at the Fat Duck. So you yeah. had a connect there? I did. Kyle Connaughton was there running the lab, and I had known him from before, so he snuck me in. So, you know, I feel like what I'm trying to do on this pod is there's a lot of name dropping of, of chefs, <laughs> of people that don't get enough credit or yeah. aren't in the media enough, and mm-hmm. they're central figures and super important in gastronomy, I think. Can you explain a little bit about who Kyle is? Yeah, and I mean, honestly, for years, that's exactly how I've explained Kyle to people, is I'm like, he's the most incredible chef that you probably don't know about. And you should. And everyone should. Because he is out of this world. And now with Single Thread, he has a new restaurant in Healdsburg. He's really getting that acclaim and that that notoriety that he deserves, because I just think he's one of the best chefs in the world. He's 100%. so incredible. He was from the San Diego area too, right? Yeah. The two great American chefs from San Diego, Matt Orlando and Kyle. <laughs> Who knew? Kyle was the head chef of Michelle Bras restaurant mm-hmm. in Hokkaido, which yeah. had, I think, three Michelin stars. Yeah. As an American to do that right. is insane. And he had learned very rigorous methods of how to cook Japanese food. And when Fat Duck, probably one of the most iconic restaurants in the world, three Michelin stars, Fat Duck and Bray, Kyle was part of the team that helped it get three stars. Yeah. And he was the head of R&D. Yeah, for a long time, too. He was there for a long time. Yeah, And he was a central figure in a lot of the great ideas that happened. And a name that does not get the recognition it deserves Mm -hmm. because he's a fucking fantastic guy. And he knows so much about food. He was someone who really, as a young cook, he really impacted me. He took a chance on letting me come there. And he really stood up for me when I was there and and pushed them to let me do more because he felt confident in my abilities. And when I left, he wrote me these incredible letters of recommendation and like several copies and told me to use them that if I ever needed anything to call on him and blah, blah, blah. And he had been up in the lab and I was cooking in the kitchen and in the prep house. So like I didn't even work with him while I was there. How, (laughs) How long did you stay at Fat Duck? I was there for three weeks. Three weeks. Mm hmm. But can you explain to people how magical of a place that is? It's wild. It was a wild <laughs> time to be there, too, because it was 2007. So they were on top of the world. You know? Number one restaurant. Yeah. When I was in culinary school, El Bulli and Fat Duck. That was it. Those were the places. Like, that was the food world. That's the it, height of Heston's powers, too. Yeah, absolutely. So it's such a crazy place. It's in this old Super old building. The ceilings are incredibly low. There's like sheds in the back, and each one of them is like one's a thermomix shed, one's a this shed. And I was there in the winter, so it was colder outside than in the walk-ins. We were like storing stuff outside, and it was just the product was so different than it is here in the UK. 
And was um, Ash- Ashley the chef there yet? Yeah. Ashley was the chef and Graham was right. the Sue. Um, Ashley Palmer Watts. Yeah. Who's lovely. And still the chef at dinner yeah. in London. Another iconic, fantastic restaurant. Yeah. He's really great. And Jockey was the pastry chef when Jockey I was there. <laughs> is, um, Jockey needs his own, probably yeah. one of the most original characters you'll ever hear about or read about. Did you know that Jockey <laughs> worked at the Inn of Little Washington? No. Yes. As a dishwasher from Scotland. Oh my gosh. And- he's, he's just, <laughs> I don't even know how to put him in a little box. The way that I finally bonded with him while I was there was over In-N-Out because he had come to Vegas that year. And he was, I saw an In-N-Out sticker and I was like, which one of you has been to In-N-Out? And he was like, me. And I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> like, oh, sorry, chef. But he was so intense and so full of passion and just. But insanely talented. Oh my gosh. No yeah. one can make canals faster than Jockey. No, he's so talented. The desserts were outstanding. Like I loved being over by the dessert station. It was so incredible. So like for someone that is a geek on food history and kitchens, you worked at one of the most important times in LA at one of the most important restaurants in Los Angeles and Mm -hmm. it's still an important restaurant. And you got to eat food at a level that you wouldn't normally get to in Italy. And then you go spend time, even though it's three weeks, just to see probably the best kitchen of the past 100 years, one of. But it was three weeks, but it really felt like six months because within days, Again, they were letting me do stuff that stages who had been there for six months weren't allowed to do because they were like, wow, you have really good knife skills. Wow, this and that. And one of the cooks was like, where do you work? Because, you know, I was 21 and quiet and shy and just this American girl who stepped into the kitchen. And everyone there was from all over the world. And one of my coworkers had already gone on stage there. And he told me before I left, he's like, you can't get upset, but they're going to throw away your mise en place. Like, they're really particular— Sometimes it's just like to make a point, but like they're going to cull through everything. And if there's like five wrong things, they'll throw it away and make you do it again. And everyone there too, the stages there were like, don't get upset when they throw away your stuff. Like it's okay. And they weren't throwing any of my stuff away. And I was doing stuff way faster than the other stages because I had been at Providence for two and a half years at this point, like really like prepping a ton, owning a station, like all kinds of stuff. And so one of the guys was like, where do you work? And I was like, oh, it's a restaurant in LA called Providence, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, and how many covers do you do? And I was like, well, I was like, it's really high fine dining, but, you know, on the weekends we're doing like 150, one this and that. And they were like, uh-huh. And then they came in the next day and they were like, so we looked at their website. You do that food for that many people? And I was like, yeah, it's a really great restaurant. I like, love this story I really so love much. it. And so then they were like, today you do knife cuts. Cut, you know, 1,500 grams of caribou noir. Cut this, cut that, cut this. And I was like, okay, and just banging it all out. I also had like, awesome Japanese knives because I had worked at Providence and they all had like clunky German knives. So I pulled out like an usuba and they're like, what is that? And I was like, it's a vegetable knife. We're cutting vegetables. Like, what do you guys use? And um, one night I was doing the shallot brunoise, which was the finest brunoise ever. And you had to separate the shallots, they say. And they're really long. They're really different. You just separate out each layer of the skin inside of it and square them off and do this like crazy labor like real brunoise shallots yeah. is a pain in the ass. But each layer we had yeah. to do it was so ridiculous. And um, I gave them to them because it was for the snail dish. And Magnus, who was the junior, well, you got to back time, up. You can't just say snail dish. A snail and porridge dish yeah. is an iconic so dish. Good. Can you explain so what it good. is? I don't remember it all. My brain is at max capacity <laughs> right now. Um, for the record, she's opening a restaurant tomorrow, tomorrow, and I'm asking her ridiculous. <laughs> 
detailed it questions. It had that like green puree yeah. in it, and yeah, it's it like was a parsley so puree. So good, yeah. yeah, really nice. So from like across the prep kitchen, the junior Sue yells out like, "Jessica, get over here!" And I was like, "Oh my god, what did I do? Like this is it? He's not happy with what I did this time." And he calls me over and he's like. This is the best Chalpernois I've ever seen. I just wanted to let you know. But like yelled at me so no one would know that he was like giving me like, he did a really good job. And then I became <laughs> really good friends with the butcher there. So they would let me work with the meats with them. And I worked service way more than I should have. And this was all within three weeks. And then um, my last night as my gift, it was a Tuesday, I think, was the days we received all the big orders and all the birds and pigeons and quails. And they let me butcher the pigeons. That was my gift. They were like, you get to break down the pigeons with Adam. And I was like, really? You know, this is so exciting. So we put on our favorite Swedish dance music song because we listen to a lot of music in there. They blast the music so loud that there's a flashing light if the phone rings from the real kitchen so that you know to pick it up because the music is playing so loud. And we put on that and I have a video of it, of me and Adam like going at the pigeons because it was like such a cool thing that they let me do it with them and butcher all of that with them on my last day is like a thank you. And and I'm still, I still talk to them. Like those guys, like I can still message and like reach out to and be like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. They're like, we do, stop it. And I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. This is a really rare thing. And what she just described about being able to make mise en place that was not just acceptable, but of the highest standard for someone that just walked in a kitchen is incredibly difficult to do. And because of a personality, I don't think it's ever going to be like, oh, pay attention to me. I'm just telling you that's an incredibly rare feat. And I think a testament to how naturally gifted Jessica is. And what happened after Fat Duck? I came back to LA and Michael had... Providence and Michael had partnered with LaMille Coffee to open LaMille Coffee Boutique. There wasn't really a place for me at Providence. He had held my job, but there wasn't really a position. So he took me over there and he was like, you know, will you help me figure this out? And then I ended up staying and and being like kind of the opening chef there, getting it up and running for five months. And then I'd really burnt myself out because it was breakfast, lunch, dinner. And I was working way too much and I was way too young to be a manager. I was 22 and I was just being an asshole to be honest, because I was overworked and I didn't know how to manage people or deal can with we, it. Can we talk about that? Mm-hmm. As our industry goes through periods of self-awareness and getting better, you think it's important for people to know how hard it is for cooks that are talented or on the upward trajectory when they have to figure everything out on the fly? Yeah. No one taught you any of this shit. No. And no one teaches you when it's happening, usually. It's really hard. And the most immediate response that you find when you are in that position is what? It's to just be demanding. You become so insecure. And you become the worst version of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's terrible. And, man, like, when I just heard that, I I was going through some self-reflection, too, because you know you need to be better, Mm -hmm. but you have no tools as to how to do it. Yeah, and, like— Inside your head, as you're frustrated or acting out about it, inside your head, you're like, stop. What are you doing? Like, you're being the person that you don't want to work for. Like, be the person you want to work for. Like, stop. But you can't stop yourself because, like you said, you have no tools. And that makes it more frustrating and more, at least for me, more anger, more rage Mm because I felt it. I was completely not in control. Mm -hmm. And— you were so much younger than I was ever in a position of management. Mm-hmm. And 
that's the first time you're in charge of people. Yeah. You're writing schedules. You're telling people how to do stuff. Yeah. There's obviously the age gap, which I'm assuming with people that you're working with, that's got to make it's more hard. animosity. Yeah. I'm sorry you had to go through that. It's okay. I mean, it was a great opportunity when I realized that, like, this isn't really the food I want to be doing. This isn't the job I want. And I don't want to be in this space because it was just tiny. And it's just, it was such a huge step away from the kind of food I wanted to be doing. But good to experience. Absolutely. No, it was. It was great. And to know what chaos and madness opening something is, especially stepping into it. Like, I stepped into it like a few weeks before it opened, which was crazy. And I had no prior knowledge of it because I had been gone. Then I went to Michael and I was like, I'm giving you my notice and I don't want to come back to Providence. Like, I think I need to do something else. My old chef de cuisine from Providence was taking over Bastide. I was like, I'm going to go work for Paul for a while. Paul, what's Paul doing now? He's about to open a restaurant in Toluca Lake. They're finishing their build out and stuff. I just, he came to friends and family the and other Paul's night. Paul's last name, so people Shoemaker, know. Paul Shoemaker. He was Michael's chef de cuisine at Water Grill and then opened Providence with him. And he's one of my greatest mentors. He's the one who took a big chance on me and really made me the chef that I am. So shout out to Paul. Yeah, he's pretty great. So I went to work for Paul. And well, Michael told me, he was like, I support what you're doing. I do agree. You do need to go do something else. I really don't think you should work for Paul because you already know him and his style and stuff. But if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But I want to ask one more thing of you. We're doing the five by five, which was these dinners they used to do in LA. It was top five chefs and they'd have all of them come to each restaurant. It was like Josiah, Michael. Can't just say Josiah. Josiah Citrin. (laughs) Who else was in it? Uh, The chef from Ortolan. I can't remember his name right now. Oh my God, Um, I can't remember either. Yeah. It was a great group of chefs. It was a really fun event. And he was like, I want you to come work the five by five because we're having this guest chef come. I ate at his restaurant and I really loved it. And I think you guys will get along really well. And I want to pair you with him because I think you should work for someone like him. And I was like, yeah, of course I'll come. That sounds great. That's like a great send off for my time with you and with your restaurants. And so I go in and I'm paired with this guy, David Kinch. Didn't know anything about him. The other cooks are a little bit pissed off that I got to work with him because they did know who he was. And this was in 2008. So, Is that um, post-Fox, pre-Fox? Post-Fox. It was in James Saibo's era. So David comes in. I showed up early because I had like multiple bushels of muscles to clean. So I cleaned them all before he got there. I had rondeaux on. I had mirepoix cut. I had everything to be like, let's cook the muscles off. And he's like, oh, great. You cleaned all the muscles. Do you have a bird's beak? And I was like, Yeah. And he's like, cool, we're shucking the muscles raw. Hundreds of muscles. Hundreds. And I was like, great. Okay. Who is this guy? And um, I got the hang of it pretty quick. And we're just there banging him out and doing all this stuff. And he's like, so I heard you're leaving. You know, like, I'd love for you to come stage with me. Michael tells me great things, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of brushed him off. I was like, oh, yeah, thanks. Like, I'm going to take a couple months off and then I'm going to go work for my old chef. But thanks. Like, maybe one day I'll come stage. And Ari Collender was like next to me helping us do this at the time. And he was like, did that guy just seriously offer you a job right now? And you're just like brushing him off. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, no, I'm good, blah, blah, blah. And um, David and I had a great time that night. We worked together really well. He, at the end of the night, was like, here's my contact. Here's my chef de cuisine's contact. Like, whatever you ever need, like, please come up, blah, blah, blah. So I go to work for Paul, and it was awesome. Like, he fired his whole fish line, and I worked it by myself because I knew him so well. And we were at Bustied, so we had, like, the playground, you know, the most beautiful, incredible kitchen. And I had a blast, but I was also, because I was working for Paul and because of 
you know, I'd just been running the mill and all that, I was getting really cocky. And Paul called me out on it. And he was like, I love having you here. You do the job of multiple people. You know me really well, but you're really bored because you already know what I want. And, and when you say cocky, were you just being a jerk to people? I wasn't being a jerk. I was just like so overly confident in myself because I knew exactly what Paul wanted that I felt like I knew more than like his sous chefs almost because they were new to him. And you're it's, not growing then? No, not at all. And he called me out on it right away. He pulled me aside and he was like, I love having you here, but I want you to leave. You need to go learn more. You're better than this. You should be better than everyone here. And you're stagnant right now. So you can't be here anymore. He's like, I want you to go stage at that place you told me about up north. And I was like, oh. Can you talk about that, that place? Before we talk about Manresa mm-hmm. and the glory of Manresa in that kitchen. <laughs> and I think it's important if a young cook is listening to this, that moment when you are complacent. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I was aware of it. I just thought I was really good at my job. But the moment he said it, I, you know, kind of like shrunk down and was like, you're right. Like, you're right. I'm I'm not learning anything. Because when you say, I want the dish to be X, Y, Z, I don't even have to ask you anything. Like, I can execute it exactly the way you want it. And that's pretty boring. That's not who I want to be, do, you know? Do you think— because I have this conversation with young my cooks. When I say young, it's not age. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm literally always saying yeah. young as in terms of experience in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. How do you tell someone when they choose not to make life more difficult for themselves? Because the culinary arts is one of the dumbest professions in the sense of how absurd it is. To get better, you have to constantly make it more difficult for yeah. yourself. Yeah. And at some point, I see a breaking point with the, the ambition, not just ambition, Younger cooks being like, I'm okay. I don't want to continue to push myself. Yeah. I don't want to start over. Because every time you go to a new place, you are starting over no matter what your experience is. Basically, it's like the hardest thing to do, to Mm -hmm. start over. Yeah. Even a new position in a kitchen is so hard. Absolutely. And after a while, people are like, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. How do you tell someone to continue to push? I mean, I don't know. Because it's not for everyone. How do you make that determination? I mean, really— trying to like speak to them and open up to them about what my experience has been like and those moments. Like I reference this moment with Paul all the time because it was so pivotal to me to be like, when I decided to leave Providence, that was of my own doing, but it was also really safe because I was going to Paul. And choosing to leave and move somewhere I'd never lived before, go completely alone, go do all this stuff, like that is what made my career in a lot of ways stepping completely outside of my comfort zone and doing something that I had no reference for and like starting completely from scratch. I tried to go into it as like clean slate as I could, which is the same thing I'm doing with Simone, you know, because that was such a great lesson. Like I didn't hire anyone I've worked with before. It's a completely clean slate so that it is that challenge again, just like you're saying. But I don't really know. I think it's different with each person, but making them reflect on themselves and if they want more or if this really is what they want because they want a different quality of life, or like if this is where they want to, not plateau, that's not the right word, right. but if if that's what their goal is and where they want to be. Because for some people it is. Like, you know, when I was interviewing cooks, they all were like, I was like, what's your short-term goal and your long-term goal? And they all said, I want to own my own place someday. I never said that. <laughs> I've always said, I don't think I want to own my own restaurant because it's a crazy thing to do. Now I'm doing it, but... It's also like, I think people can have different goals because for some people, it's not the right thing. At that moment in their life. Yeah. 
what age were you when you were like, fuck it, I'm going to work for this guy I don't really know named uh, David Kinch? I was 22 when I started at Men I can't believe how much you had done already. <laughs> and uh, moving away from home for the first time. Mm-hmm. Outside of the fat tuck, of course. And I just want to like commend Michael Siramusti for being a fucking amazing mentor. Yeah. My yeah. God. I mean, Michael is still to this day such a huge support for me. Anything I need, whether it's been like, hey, I need to come cryovac some stuff at the restaurant or like, where do you source this? Or even just seeing him at events and things. It's just like, he's such a huge support for me. You know, like right after I won the Beard Award, we were both out in the lobby and we just had this like moment where it was just like of all the people for me to walk out of the press room and see for him to be there alone. It was just like, look, I did it. Like, can you believe it? Like, I can't believe it. He just somehow is still always there supporting me. And he's he's so awesome. And especially considering the fact that like, I mean, two and a half years is a long time, but that was 2005. That was 13 years ago. <laughs> and he still supports me so much. He came and did a dinner at Manresa for the 10-year anniversary right after I had become chef de cuisine. And that was like, I don't know if I've ever been more nervous than when Michael came. And um, it was so much fun and like such an awesome thing to have him be like, I'm here in your space now, you know? And I was just like, oh my God, that's a real thing. Like, And then we were, we were both judges for this cooking competition a few years ago. And that was wild. And like, I, I really only went because he was doing it. I was like, this is so cool that I get to be like his peer that like— I'm going to go because of that. Otherwise, I really didn't have time to do it. But I, I flew in to do it with him because I was like, this is so cool. You know, and he's just so great. He's such a great support and an awesome mentor. And what advice do you have for someone that's like, hey, it's, I feel when people say, oh, how do I find a mentor? It's right there. You know where mm-hmm. to go. You just got to mm-hmm. do it. That's honestly my biggest advice. So, Crazy thing happened last year. I gave the commencement speech at my culinary school last year, which was pretty wild to be like brought back by those same chefs that had put so much into me. They asked me to come speak because the year before one of them gave the speech and it was kind of about me. So then they asked me to come speak the next year. And my biggest advice to all the graduates and to young cooks in general is find good mentors. Find people who you want to invest in and people who want to invest in you. And like you're saying, they're usually right there in front of you. But, like, be aware of what's going on around you, you know? Pay attention. Like, your job as a cook is to learn how to create what the chefs want. You're the one creating and operating their vision. And once you master their vision, you can move up in that kitchen or you can move on to learn another thing. And all of those experiences shape who you are as a chef. You know, I draw on things that I learned at Providence, I draw on things I learned at Manresa, but I'm also defining like a very different path for myself and how I want the food to be at Simone. But it's because I really like respect and keep those things that I learned very close to me and really like understand and appreciate all the things that even though they weren't my vision, creating at Manresa like for David to represent what he wanted that restaurant to be was really amazing and very, like, formidable to allow me to now create for myself. And now a quick break to hear from our sponsors. 
Today's Day Chang Show is brought to you by Le Creuset. As a chef, we always talk about sourcing the best quality ingredients and knowing suppliers, but using the right cookware and tools is just as important. Le Creuset was the first to pioneer colorful enamel cookware over 90 years ago. With that history and experience, they produce the finest quality and design. And they have been a favorite for generations through meals and memories it creates and the style it expresses. Le Creuset was the first to pioneer colorful enamel cookware over 90 years ago. With that history and experience, they produce the finest quality and design, and they've been a favorite for generations through the meals and memories it creates and the style it expresses. They are the first to introduce color to the kitchen and are pioneers in enamel cast iron, which features the superior heat retention of cast iron paired with unparalleled performance and the ease of enamel. All cast iron is made in France since 1925 in the original French foundry, and each piece of cast iron is touched by 15 pairs of craftsman hands. Original heirloom cookware backed by a lifetime warranty. Bold colors and timeless designs allow for an expression of personal style in the kitchen and beyond. When people ask me what kind of pots and pans they should buy for their home, I always legitimately recommend Le Creuset. I love it to death. It is not only incredibly functional and sturdy, cast iron is probably one of my favorite materials to cook with because of how it like conducts heat. It's incredibly sturdy and it also looks really good. It is something that I've seen in professional kitchens, both in Europe, in Asia, in America. We use them in our own restaurants and we not only use them in our kitchens, we also like serve stuff in them. The same things are so utilitarian. They're useful. I love them to death. Check out the new color from Le Creuset, just launched in September. Indigo is the truest blue, inspired by the iconic natural dye. The rich, deep hue of Le Creuset's indigo is universally authentic. A timeless, true blue, and bold neutral in style and cultures around the world. Indigo is a great color. It's one of the things that Le Creuset can do, even if you're not cooking with it. If it's on your oven range, it looks great. Get free shipping at lecrusade.com slash Dave with promo code Dave. That's lecrusade.com slash Dave with promo code Dave. Today's episode is also brought to you by SeatGeek. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're catching your favorite musician on tour, shopping for the perfect gift, or searching for a last-minute deal to see your favorite team, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Nothing beats being there in person for the biggest plays of the year, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just use SeatGeek to buy tickets for my Fantasy Football League's trip to New Orleans because we're going to see a Saints home game. I'm really excited about it. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you shop with SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app, finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CHANG today. That's promo code CHANG, C-H-A-N-G, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's free money. SeatGeek, right seat, right now, right from your phone. And now back to the show. One of the reasons why I like, particularly with chefs, to go over their 
their CV, especially the chefs that I want to speak to, it's because it tells you so much about them because you, the restaurants you work at impart so much mm-hmm. onto that person. Yeah. And it's the best way to understand, quite frankly, your culinary viewpoints, the things that you've tasted, the techniques that you've learned. I already at this point know like, okay, I think I have an idea what was going through your head at this time. And you get to Manresa and Los Gatos and did Kinch have the new kitchen in yet? No, it was still- You didn't when, have the Maltinis in then. Did you have Maltinis? Uh, Bonnets. Bonnets. Yeah, the Bonnet has always been there. The Bonnet survived the fire. The Bonnet has always been there. <laughs> Maestro is its name. And it's an incredible piece of equipment to cook on. Like, just amazing. What, what is a Bonnet? Because a lot of people don't understand kitchen ranges because it's not yeah. that important anymore to a lot of people. Yeah. Bonnet is a type of stove. And it's like the one they have there is an all-built-in island It's really incredible. It was all custom made and it has like four built-in burners, four built-in ovens, a plancha, a fryer, a heat warmer, and a pass. So it's like this crazy beast piece of equipment. I think they had to crane it into the building because it's such a huge piece of equipment that's all one unit. They didn't piece it together here because it was made in France. And that was, you know, 15, 16 years ago that they brought it in. So pretty wild. And it's the lifeblood. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that kitchen is so amazing. It's in a historical building. So around the kitchen, like three sides surrounding this stove are all these old windows. So you get daylight all day, which is so nice in a kitchen. It's also like over 100 degrees during the summer in there because it's you're in a greenhouse. Basically, it's just baking you. But yeah, it's an incredible place to work. Like just so outstanding. You find a place to live. You're on your own. Mm-hmm. You're what, 23 now? 24? Yeah, I started there right before I turned 23. That is so insane to me. Yeah, it's pretty (laughs) wild. And uh, what's your first day? What are you, what's it like? What are you working? I worked um, the like meat veg slash garden station. So I did a lot of the produce that came from the farm and um, I did the garden dish, which I became very passionate about. We can talk a lot about (laughs) the food at Manresa. Yeah. So can you sort of summarize what makes Manresa different and the sort of philosophies that it sort of parallels in Europe that were super important still today? The appreciation and respect and reverence for product. I think like David wants the best product, which is also my stance on it, to not be like, he's not a locavore. You know, he he partnered with Love Apple so he could grow what he wanted to grow to be, have stuff that was different from what people were all using in the Bay Area, but it wasn't so that he was like local necessarily. And I know he speaks to this a lot too, but he wanted the best product and that's what he's always searching for. So whether he has to fly it in or or whatever, he just wants the best product to work with so that you don't have to do much to it to really like make the vegetables shine, which is where David and I are very similar in that approach. It's like we both love vegetables and we both love making them the star by not messing with them, just making them taste like what they are. Um, and kind of opening up people's eyes to that. But you have to have really good product for that to work really well. But he's very natural in his approach, like the sensibilities of plating that I learned there. Providence, at the time I was there, was much more architectural and very like strict. And going up to Manresa, it was much more like follow the curve of the plate. Always keep your eye on this. Let it fall naturally. And it was so different, but so amazing because it makes your creativity just expand. Do you think it's harder to plate as it falls naturally? Than Absolutely. It is? 
And it's so hard to explain that to a younger cook. Yeah. Because they see an intricate tower of shit that is like beautiful, mm-hmm. but it's cooking by numbers and it's plating mm-hmm. by numbers. Yeah. To make it look beautiful and natural on a plate as it like just fell there mm-hmm. seems like, oh, that's easy. Oh, Until so you hard. try to do it. It's fucking- <laughs> <laughs> and trying to teach it. That's something I'm going through right now. And also when I was there, just like picking that up and then eventually teaching it to people where it's like, let it fall. And they're like, Meh. and I'm like, no, don't do that. And like, <laughs> especially with the garden dish, I'm sure you had it when it was like the crazy salad with all the stuff because it would have like 60 components. It would be pretty insane. But making it stand up and stand on its own instead of a pile in the middle of the plate, which I still, anytime there's any sort of salady thing that I cook, it's just constantly trying to get people to see that it can open up and like show off. And not everything needs to be turned up right. I like some stuff upside down and like play with it and look at the dish and find the holes and put stuff here. And like, so, I mean, I learned a lot of those sensibilities there that I I now are not even things that I'm aware of or conscious of, except when I'm trying to teach people them. But even like there were times where David would be frustrated with the way a cook was plating something and I would like grab it and just like plate it the other way, like how he wanted it because I knew him so well. And he'd be like, yeah, like that. And I would be like, okay, here's the thing. Your purees were facing out. He wants them facing in and this and that and trying to break it down. But I love the fact that it became just completely ingrained in me in this really beautiful way. Because I, when I was at Providence and a young cook, I really struggled with plating. I was like super talented and gifted at cooking and really had a hard time with being creative. Can you elaborate a little bit more? I love talking. This is one of my like favorite conversations because I can geek out about all the shit that you're talking about because mm-hmm. it brings me so much joy. Plating is something that does not get the recognition it deserves yeah. in terms of innovation yeah. and execution, particularly from cooks because they think, oh, it's all just fucking cooking the thing. The yeah. plating part is the yeah. hardest part. Yeah, absolutely. It's really important, and it's like— You put all this work, especially like on a cold station where you're just assembling, but you've put all this work into measing everything out. Like when you cook, you have a little bit more room for error to like fix things and like have more to work with in that sense. But like pastry and cold, I feel like you have to really invest yourself in making it look beautiful because that's all you have to work with, you know. But plating, I mean, I really struggled with it when I first started at Providence. And so I would go home. And like ketchup and sour cream were my mediums. And I would practice doing plate drops and I would practice doing swooshes and practice doing saucing and all that kind of stuff at home to get better at it until I finally started to build my confidence with it by like just asking questions constantly and being like, like this or like explain to me how you're doing it and what you're looking for. And Paul and Michael were both like, look at what's the fattest part of the fish. Put that towards the guest. Like think about it like this and do that and finding those ways to approach the food. And now I do that too when I'm like, there's a little bit of mint on here, but make sure that they're going to get mint inside of the salad as a surprise. And they're like, oh, you know, instead of just throwing it on there or like you're beating it up because you're tossing it too hard. Be really light and delicate with it because we want it to stand up and trying to find ways to make people see what you want versus just being like, do it like this. This is what I want, you know? Oh, man. I don't think I've ever had a conversation about plating uh, like this, and it brings me great joy. (laughs) It's really hard. I mean, especially as the chef to, like like you're saying, like innovate constantly. It's hard. And to make the food look like what you also want it to taste like. And, like, it's such a difficult thing, but it's really fun. And, like— If you look at Kinch's food, although it's changed over the 15, 10 years— 
his plating to me is representative of his philosophy of it just has a purity that represents the kind of ingredients that he wants mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it really does mirror that. Yeah. And we could talk about Love Apple Farms and how he was sort of a pioneer in bringing that model and doing it. We could talk forever about Passard, <laughs> and it took me a long time to understand that relationship and how Kinch was. There are a lot of people in America that looked up to Passard, but I think yeah. he was one of the first ones to really understand that this guy is actually, he changed the game. As mm-hmm. much as Ferran, yeah. Passard. Uh, and Michelle. Or, yeah. I mean, you got to give Michelle, Michelle Bra. You have the garden. We could geek out and talk yeah. about all the yeah. the, 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 the there. lineage. There's, there's, a, there. there's a ton there, <laughs> and I would love to continue to talk about all this stuff, but I don't want to keep you from working and opening your own restaurant mm-hmm. and talking about Simone itself. Yeah. But you spent a lot of time, how many years at Manresa? Six years. And when were you promoted to CDC? About two years into it. Holy so shit. So four years as chef de cuisine, two years as a cook, and four years as chef de cuisine. So again, that's insane. Right. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was great. Like I, I it's amazing. loved it. I loved it. it but that is such a again a testament to, to just how good you are. And again, not just obviously naturally gifted, but it's naturally gifted with matching a superior work ethic. And mm-hmm. uh, I have no doubt you were studying your ass off. If you're plating swooshes at home, <laughs> you're studying your ass off as well. Yeah. You know, I actually don't. You don't. It's a funny thing to talk about, but I, um, I try to not influence myself too much with other people's work it's something like as an artist because I do think of us as artists uh, obviously creatives but chefs I think of us as artists and I think that I really try to not influence myself with other people's work I love knowing what other people are doing and stuff but I don't geek out and read every cookbook I love looking through them on my days off and reading about other people's philosophy but I really try to keep it separate from my creative process because I like that somehow I've tapped into true like inspiration Mm. in my brain when I create food and stuff. And I really like, I love that about myself that I don't follow trends or do anything. You know, Jessica Coslow came to friends and family and she um, messaged me afterwards and said like, you have such a voice. And that meant so much to me because that's who I want to be as a chef. You know, I want, even if the food is so simple and like obvious, like things that are expected to go with each other or something like She was like, your plating has a voice, you know, and that meant so much to me because I'm not trying to make it look like something else. I'm also not trying to make it super unique. I'm Mm -hmm. just doing what I want to do. No, I completely get it. And one of the things is, and I tell younger cooks is stop looking at other people's shit to develop your own voice because you don't use your imagination. That's so important. Whether you notice it or not, it is influencing everything. The one thing that I will do that I go back to, I haven't done this in a long time, but when I was at Manresa and really finding myself as a chef— I would go back to Michelle Bra's book and just look through the pictures, not read anything, just look through pictures to like open up my mind to how to Which plate. Which one, first or second? The first. The OG. Yeah, because the plating in there is so beautiful and I wasn't trying to emulate it, but it always got me to this incredible space in my mind where I could see the food different. You know what I love you know? about that cookbook is his mise trays. Yeah. It's the best. I've searched the world to get those exact ones. Oh, yeah, no way. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. yeah it, it, Michel Bra, his son David now runs it. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't have to go into the significance of him, but particularly plating and how he looks at vegetables, but and a true icon. For him, there's so much theory behind it. You yeah. know, when you see the notebooks and stuff, like everything is so specific. And I'm just like, always blown away to be like, how did you figure out so much? 
you drew every dish. Like, how did you get that far into it before you plated it? Because for me, it's like, I need all this. I need my palate of the food to bring it together. But that's one thing I love is we all have such a different process. It's like any other art form, you know? Michelle Bra, one of my favorite things that's ever happened to me was we were prepping this weird dinner in Deauville, France. And out of the blue, he came out and brought out his Leo knife and he just started helping prep family meal. And I would just it's like I the like, best moment I've ever heard of. What's happening? This man is right next to me. God is right next to me. And he's just <laughs> torneying carrots. I was blown away and he's the most gentle soul. But uh, what I was trying to say too about, I, I really admire your, your creative process. And for me, I like reading books simply to two categories and I don't really read cookbooks at all anymore. But I used to simply because I want to know what is happening and I want to learn mm-hmm. technique. That was yeah. also important to me. But two, I wanted to learn and, and mark what I'm never going to do. Yeah, that's very true. I do do that. I do keep an awareness of like what I really don't like and what I don't want to do. I think that's really important. I think that's also so valuable as a cook to keep in your mind, learn the things you don't want to do. Like that is just as important as learning all the things that are great and awesome and like stuff you take away with you. Like keep your mind super open to seeing the things that you don't want to do when you're a manager or when you're a chef. Amen to that. And man, Raisa, you were there when it got three stars. I had just left. But you were part of the team. Yeah. That's amazing. I don't want to take anything away from it because I think it's incredible that that happened for them. But I do feel though that it was still a good amount of my food, and I'm very proud of that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's an amazing testament to your talent. Without going too much into Manresa, because I we should just get Kinch here to talk about it, you win the Beard Award. You, how did you meet these investors? Because I think it's in this day and age, it's really important for younger cooks that are aspiring. Like I always get the question, like, how do you? How do I do it? How do I meet someone? How does someone help me? So I'm, I'm no help on this because they sought me out. You are help because basically it's this. <laughs> My best advice is do awesome shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. It's like, you know, with any accolades and awards I've won too, everyone's been like, how did you get there? And I'm like, I didn't try to. I put my head down and I worked really hard. And every time I got one, I was like, what? Who? How? Like the first year I was nominated for a Beard Award, I didn't even know I was on the list. You know, someone told me and I was like, what? What are you talking about? And then I saw my name and then I made it to the finals and I was like, Oh, my God. Like, <laughs> who even knows I exist? This is crazy. Yeah, and then the next year I won, which is so, it's still so wild to think about. No, you should. I have a hard time accepting uh, congratulations. And mm-hmm. I'm just letting you know you should enjoy it because yeah. you've worked incredibly hard and you're gifted at this. No, I do. I really think, like, for me, the thing is, is that every time any of that has happened, I just try to, like, instead of being like, I'm so awesome, I just try to remind myself, like, you earned this. Enjoy it. You know, like. Absolutely. This doesn't mean that you're done. You have even more work to do now, which is what you like. So keep that in mind. But also like you did earn this. So be be happy about it. You know, don't be afraid of it. You find the investors. Did you tell them, hey, like this is what I want to do? It was more like they were like, hey, we, we really want to do a restaurant. We really want you to be a part of it. And I was like, I'm taking time off. And they were like, okay, will you come and meet us? Because we really want to do a restaurant with you. It can be, you know, kind of whatever you want. We don't have any concept or anything. We just want it to be you. And I was like, I'm taking time off. Where'd you go? Well, I stayed in the Bay Area and I signed on with them and they supported it. So 
I stayed in the Bay Area for like three months after I left Manresa to just hang out there and spend time there. And I just hiked and traveled around the Bay because I knew I was leaving. And I really love Santa Cruz and that whole area up there. And then I went to Europe for like three and a half months. And I did a pretty crazy tour. I had already no been staging. to Europe a good time. No. And it was amazing. I had such a great time. And then I, I came back from that. And you got to get a crash course in the worst part of opening a restaurant, which is the construction mm-hmm. and all of that nonsense. Yeah. It was pretty crazy. So I, I came back to LA for two months and then I actually went to Chicago and I did a residency at Intro. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I always forget about it too. Not that it wasn't <laughs> important. I just forget that I did work in the last three years, you know, because it was only for five months, which was really great. I went and did it because it was so temporary and it was a good way for me to test myself creatively and as a manager to see all this work I'd put into like my mental health and like balancing my life. Could I really put it into practice? And by being thrown into a restaurant like that, I figured that was probably the most stressful situation I could walk into and just see how I dealt with it and see what I still needed to work on, how I could create food for an a la carte menu. Because that's important to say is you were working at tasting menu restaurants. Mm-hmm. And a la carte is a whole different ballgame. So different. I love what I really admire when I hear everything is you're constantly re- assessing your life, your techniques of where you want to be. But you're also testing shit out. Oh, yeah. Before you actually have to do it. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to do a bigger, more casual a la carte restaurant because I want to be more well-rounded as a chef. Because as much as I love fine dining, like I made the service at Manresa the perfect machine. By the time I left, I was bored with like how perfect everything went. We had everything timed to the minute. Like it was crazy and amazing. But also it took that like fire out of it. Like literally it wasn't as invigorating and fun. And also I noticed over my career that like I was this crazy fine dining chef. But when I would go to cook at a friend's house, I would be a nervous wreck because I like wasn't used to cooking food like that or like using a different stove. And like I didn't feel like I was well-rounded enough. So I cooked a lot in the years I was off. And I also really wanted to challenge myself to create differently and like figure out how I like to eat food. You know, not just cook food and then put those two together. And that's what I'm trying to do with Simone. I wish I had your maturity at uh, <laughs> when I was your age. Isn't it the worst when you're cooking food for people at other houses and they're expecting it to be the best oh thing you've gosh. ever made and you just are like, oh, I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> here. Or when they're talking about it like it is and you're like, actually, I think it kind of sucks. <laughs> like, I'm super disappointed with how this came out. Like, like. I didn't think about the fact that I was cooking in your crappy oven at your house or like, I expect this to have like 15,000 more BTUs and it doesn't, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's the worst feeling because everyone expects you to be able to do what you do. And I'm like, it's not possible. Like I can make And they don't understand why you're like visibly upset at it. I I, I don't like, people are like known just to leave me alone when I'm cooking home because I'm always just (laughs) not happy. Yeah, (laughs) it's hard. So trying to get through that and past it and figure out what kind of stuff I could cook at home and like cooking for friends. And like there would be days where like I would just invite a bunch of friends over, go and buy a bunch of stuff and just cook this incredible, awesome meal. There was just times where, like, I needed a fix of cooking over the last few years. And, like, my friends loved it. You know, they were like, we love when you do this. This is so fun. And I was like, yeah, I just really needed, like, my hands on a lot of food today because I'm really missing it. Um, Did you discover your love of food again? Because is it wrong to say when you were at Manresa, it was the process that was so important to, like, 
systemizing it and like winning, right? Mm -hmm. And less to do with why you actually want to cook. Um, I don't think I got that lost with it because honestly, like no matter how stressed or crazy I am, if I see like really happy, beautiful turnips, I like, it totally breaks me down. I'm just like, oh my God, hi friends. Like I'm such a dork when it comes to food. I just love, especially vegetables. They make me so happy. And I've never let myself get away from that, you know, or like cleaning something and being like, oh, you came out so nice. Or like turning over a scallop and, and being like, nailed it. Been doing this for, you know, over 10 years, but still feels so good to cook that right. Um, have you been to Kyoto? I haven't. I've so never been to we Japan. We are going to go. I'm just telling you right now. Let's we're going to go. We're going. I'm ready. We're going to make a trip after Simone's like yeah, give ready. give me a little bit. Give you some time. <laughs> and I want you to taste some kilyasai, the vegetables in Kyoto, that yeah. Murata only. It's, That's what I want to do. If you want to turn up, it's the most, you bite it like an apple. It's unbelievable. Yeah. That's why I want to go to Japan is I want to go and eat vegetables <laughs> yes. in Japan. I want to go and eat matsutakis in Japan. That's what I want. We will do it. I promise you. You heard it here first. (laughs) We're going. So what did you learn in this process? Uh, A lot of perseverance and like really learning to compromise on a lot and, and let things go to, you know, it would really tear me down and be so frustrating at some points, but really being like, it's going to happen and it's going to be great once it happens. So like, don't let this ruin your whole week. You know, like something didn't go right. It's fine. Or it didn't get built this way. Or you can't do what you thought you could do because of the building codes changed or something like let it go because we just want to get this place done right and open. So letting a lot go because it's really hard when you have such a specific idea and when it takes a long time and that vision has been in your brain for so long and things just keep disappearing from it in reality and you're just like, ouch, ouch. Like it's really hard to like reckon that with yourself and be like, it's okay. It's still going to be just as great. And like learning to now when I walk in there, like not look for those things, not think about them anymore. They never existed, you know? And one of the struggles I always have during the construction process is they're not cooks and it's not food mm-hmm. and I can't bend it to my will. Yeah. You just have to surrender to it. Yeah. And it's the and, hardest thing. And you can't control it because it's not your expertise. No. And you want to have an opinion on everything, but you don't know what you're talking about. Were you about. like cleaning? Well, I I wanted to clean the whole time. It drove me crazy how dirty it it is. But once you clean, it just gets dirty the next day with dust everywhere. There's dust everywhere. I'm still finding like a nook and cranny with dust. And I'm like, God damn it. Like (laughs) no more construction dust. And you assemble the team. I'm assuming it's a a crack team of all-stars for you that you didn't work with. But in your opinion, you can make the best team. Yeah, I think we got really lucky. With our cooks, we have great young in terms of experience, but also such a good demeanor and like attitude. Like we really have a great team. Like all of us just keep, all the chefs, we just keep being like, we got a really good team. This feels really good. And like, I I love checking in with my team. Yesterday I sat down with each of them and checked in with them and want, you know, give them things I want them to work on, things I noticed And then also give them space to talk to me about things that they want to bring up or issues they're having or anything. And like so many of them were like, I love it here. And like for me, I've been, you know, it's been really stressful lately and for all of us. And I've been nervous to be like, are they happy? Are they okay? You know, like I want them to feel respected and I want them to be excited about this as excited as I am. And they all 
told me that. And it felt so good because that's what I care a lot about right now is making sure that the people are taken care of so that we can produce the best food. And you mentioned Kozlo at the Friends and Family. And I admire her more than she's just unbelievable in my opinion. And I love her sense of taste and mm-hmm. she, her understanding of stuff. Yeah. And when people eat her food and like, this is delicious because she knows her shit. Yeah. And for her to give you that compliment about your own voice. Just the way she said it, too. It was just like, of all the techs and everyone I talked to, I mean, Jeremy Fox was also super supportive. There was a a great little group of chefs there the second night, which the second night went great. Felt like a great service the first night. The waits were long. There was issues. But to have them all there the second night and like for Jessica to reach out to me the next day, it just felt so good. It felt so good to have her say that in particular, like to be like, you have a voice. I was like, oh my God, that's all I want. <laughs> and she doesn't dole out compliments like that often, I no, don't think. Yeah, yeah, um, it was great. But when you talk about your voice, what mm-hmm. is it you want people to know about you when they eat at Simone? And I'm not going to talk about the decor because you can look at all that shit online. It's a beautiful space. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's kind of a hard thing to define. I mean, in terms of the approach of the restaurant, what people I kind of want to take away from it as an experience as a diner is that there were things that were challenging and there were also things that were comforting that maybe helps them next time they come back or eat anywhere that they kind of push their boundaries a little bit further. You know, doing things where like there's stuff that's just like perfect because it's so simple and comforting and like expected in a way but like I kind of love eating like that sometimes so I wanted to have that be present on the menu like Caesar salad is one of my favorite things I'll always probably have some form of a Caesar because I love it so it's like a representation of me but also something that I think a lot of people love so making things accessible to people like that also making people feel like there's something for everyone you know we have a lot of vegetables but we also have really awesome sourced fish and meat And there's also like a third of the menu is accidentally vegan. So like you can come in and I don't even have to change anything for you to be able to order off the menu confidently and even read it and understand that. Not have to ask your server a ton of questions, not have us make a bunch of modifications. Anyone can come in and eat and be satisfied and have a good time. And that there's a lot of experiences there. You can just come and hang at the bar. You can eat at the bar or you can get a reservation and eat in the dining room or eventually once things are up and running better, we're going to do a tasting menu a couple nights at the counter and I'm going to talk to you the whole night. I just cooked for some writers on Sunday night, six of them like that and every dish I like dove into it and where it came from and what the process was of it and they were like, are you going to do this all the time? And I was like, yeah, that's the whole idea is to like kind of show the other side of it and because I've learned as a chef when I do that, when I talk about the food and like what was inspiring, how it came to be, I'm spending that whole time speaking really positively about the art that I'm making. And it makes me really appreciate and love and be aware that like, I really love my job and I love what I'm doing. And I want to share it in that way with people instead of, you know, being this stoic chef in the kitchen, just like, like me, like my food. I'm great. It's like, no, like, Oh my God, guys. So I found these turnips and they're so awesome. Turnip is always my reference for some reason. I don't know why. Because Um, it's a, because they're so underrated good. It's kind of a vegetable. perfect vegetable. It is. It is. Um, good raw cooked. And the, the greens. The greens are the most underrated part of an underrated vegetable. Yeah. So good. Um, so yeah, I just want them to see like there's windows. You can see the kitchen from almost the whole space. And I wanted there to be that transparency. It's really important to me that I feel accessible to everybody. And also it holds my cooks accountable to operate on a certain level. And also for the diners to 
understand that whether they're just getting a bite at the bar or eating in the dining room or doing the tasting menu at the counter, we're operating on the highest level. Because like you said, that's where I come from. That part's not changing. My standards are just as high as if I'm running a three Michelin star restaurant. And that's been something that my cooks have been noticing and understanding. (laughs) And I'm like, it's always this way. My walk-in always looks like this. I'm going to come in here and keep doing this every day until you all start doing it. And like, if I come in here and I find your stuff, we're going to have a talk every day until you all start working this way. I don't have very bad habits. Like you said, like I have great habits because of where I've worked and the level I've operated on. And I want to teach them all those things because it can be applied to any level of food and any level of restaurant. There's really only one way to do it. You can cook a lot of different ways, but there's a right way and there's a wrong way. To organize and to keep things, to store your product well and respect it, I think is really important. Like things last so much longer when you take care of them. And teaching them like about things and understanding food and the anatomy when they're butchering and like the science behind things because sometimes that really helps certain people understand how to cook something to be like and then you add acid and it's a catalyst and they're like oh and I'm like yeah remember chemistry from high school like this applies and like making them do math where I'm like I said the other day I was like you guys didn't think that algebra was going to come into this huh but now you're scaling all these recipes and like you're doing cross multiplication and stuff and like It's really good to keep those parts of your brain working, and they all apply to this job. We've spoken a lot. I want to let you go. (laughs) You should check out Simone. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, come on in. We're opening tomorrow. Opening tomorrow. What's the location? 449 South Hewitt, which is in the Arts District. It's about 100 seats with the bar and the dining room. And casual doesn't mean lack of integrity or casual integrity. Yeah, and you know— Another thing to note is that I say casual. Some people say my food isn't casual, but I'm coming from the three-star Michelin tasting menu. And so when I see this food, I think it's casual and approachable. But it is like higher level, I would say, for that, you know? And I'm rooting for everyone. I really am. I used to not, and I as I get older, I'm like, anyone in this business that's trying to do it deserves to be rooted for and cheered for, particularly mm-hmm. ones like yourself that have fucking paid their dues to get to this moment. So I can only congratulate you you for doing everything right. This is a very rare thing. It brings complete joy to me to see someone so enthusiastically love this profession in the best possible ways and respect the tradition, the ingredients, Mm -hmm. and to do it right. It is a rare thing for someone that is not the old school Mm -hmm. to do it in a fresh way. I find it invigorating. It gives me hope and optimism. I feel like if I was a younger cook, you're exactly the kind of chef I'd want to work for. Oh, thank you. I 100% mean that. And there's a reason why all the mentors, even Jackie and everyone (laughs) has like, oh, this person's going to go far. And I I completely understand why your instructors at Pasadena, Cordon Bleu, would be like, we cannot fuck this one up. Yeah, and I'm I'm still good friends with them. And it feels awesome to like still have their support. And have them follow me. It's just like a crazy thing, but. And before we end, how are you finding any balance now with this opening? Because it's 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 all on the line, right? And it is, it is. But it's also really important, you know, like even coming here and doing this and going to MAD, which was like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I was shocked to see you there. I was like, don't you have a restaurant? I'd be freaking out. Yeah, it felt a little crazy, but I also, it gave my sous chef and chef de cuisine space to be in charge without me there, which I think was really important. It gave me some headspace. You know, we had all these crazy events this last week. We did two friends and families. Then we did um, a huge press party. 
And then we did the six people at the counter and all that kind of stuff. But even on Saturday morning, I think it was, I went in later and I took my friends who had flown in for friends and family out to brunch at Squirrel. And Jessica again texted me after and she's like, I love seeing that you came out. Like, that's awesome that you're like still carving out space for yourself because, and even coming and doing this, like I'm not that stressed to be here right now because I know my team is solid already. And like, we still have a lot of work to do. We have a lot to get to, to be like really solid, but I know that I know I can trust them and it's important for them to feel that. And for me to be able to like come here and be focused and present to do something like this. That's great to hear. And I wish you nothing but the best, you know, If I can do anything for you, just ask. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me here. This was really fun. We'll get you out of here now. (laughs) Thanks, Jessica. Thanks, David. 